Thank you, Brian. You may be seated. Thank us again for being here today. Appreciate your giving of your Sunday morning to be here with us and be a part of our new church. And uh, we're going to begin a series answering several of life's major questions. The first one that we're going to pose today is simply, does life have a purpose? Uh, think about that with me just for a moment. Does your life have a purpose? Does your life have a meaning? What is the purpose of your existence? And this, this is, a, of course, a very big question. Uh, it was said that one of the biggest fears uh, uh, and, and causes of depression in the human life is this feeling of overall meaningless and purposelessness. I mean, why are we here? Is it just to wake up in the morning, go to school, go to work, eat food, go to bed, repeat, do it again and again and again? Or is there more to our existence than just the day-to-day mundane activities of life? So this is the question that we're going to pose today, and uh, it is something that many people want to look into. If you remember years ago, The Purpose Driven Life, a book that was uh, written by Rick Warren, um, now, the, the, the book itself sold over 30 million copies in just four years. It went on to be the best-selling book each year next to the Bible around the world. It was the most translated book next to the Bible that's ever been written. But why is that? Because in the title it says Purpose Driven Life, and people assume that this book might have that reason. Why am I alive? What is the purpose to my life? And by the book sales, it obviously showed that there was something there. There was a desire. There was a wanting to know what is the purpose of all this. Why do I exist? Do I have a purpose in my life? So people are constantly plagued by this. Everyone wants to know uh, what is the meaning? What is the purpose? Unfortunately, oftentimes we see people, and sometimes ourselves, looking in this world and looking, as we'll cover in just a moment from the book of Ecclesiastes, looking under the sun, looking at the creation for their purpose, whether it be pleasure, whether it be wealth or a relationship, looking for something to cause themselves to have purpose, whether it's something good or whether it's something selfish, we look under the sun, we look to the creation for our purpose, and we miss the whole thing because we're not looking high enough. We're not looking above that. We're not looking to our Creator. It's been said that if you don't live for God, then you will live either or for the combination of the gold, the glory, or the girls. I was told this a long time ago when I was just a teenager, and I still remember it to this day, and it really is true. If you think about it, if you don't live for God, then usually you will choose one of these others, G's, to live for. Now, girls slash guys, of course, you could put there. Uh, but the point is that, that if we're not serving God, living for God, acknowledging who He is, and understanding our overall purpose, then we pick something in the creation to make that our primary purpose in life. Is your primary purpose the goal to make more and more and more money? And then what? What if you finally get enough? Well, if you ever notice millionaires and billionaires, they're usually never, ever satisfied with enough, right? They're always getting more and wanting more and needing more, more houses, more cars, more land, more power. So you get to the glory where you want more fame, more fortune also, but, but fame, more notoriety, more people patting you on the back, whether it's at work or whether you're trying to climb some corporate ladder, whether it's even just from a spouse, but you're wanting glory and you begin to live for the glory of the creation. You want more people to acknowledge who you are or it's in a relationship. And that can be a girlfriend, that can be a boyfriend, it could even be a spouse where your sole purpose 
is this relationship that you are in. We see this all the time, right? This codependency that people will develop to where their whole life is unnaturally attached to this person, to where their whole meaning, their whole purpose is involved with this one person. Now, not to demean marriage at all, but, but in the marriage context, it should still be our number one relationship should be with God, right? Not the number one relationship with our spouse. And the closer we get to God, the closer we grow together. But the opposite of that is to do away with God and just focus on the one person, focus on this one relationship, which is not healthy. So it, is, it seems to be very true that, that if you don't acknowledge God, you don't live for God, then you end up with one of these or the combination of them, living for the gold, living for the glory, or living for the girls uh, or guys. One individual summed his purpose up like this. Young man uh, I was talking to the other day, he said mainly his purpose was to get as many Facebook likes as he could on his Facebook page, all right? And he woke up every day, and that was one of his goals. So uh, is that the purpose in life? You know, you wake up the next day, and oh, what can I put on there now? Uh, there was a young lady in California years ago, one of the interesting story, but one of the first to ever make a perfect score on her ACT exam. And she was, she was uh, touted as a genius. She was the first person to ever do this and could have gone to any college that she wanted to. She chose the UCLA campus there. And there was a big to-do about her coming and to, to that university and choosing that university over all the ones that she could have gone to. So they got together with the dean. And the dean of the students had a little stump the genius type day where they propped her up here on the stage. And they asked students to show up and ask her questions just to try to stump the genius. And sure enough, they began, and, and many questions began to be fired at her, and she truly was this smart, and it was amazing. Uh, and before long, no one would even ask her another question. And uh, the dean of students was kind of embarrassed. No one would even ask her any more questions. She was clearly in a level above everyone with her intellect. And then finally on the front row, a gentleman that was there to, to duct tape wires down to the ground so no one would trip kind of bashfully held his hand up a uh, unique individual, and just, just uttered one question that wasn't really in the topics that she was there to address, but just said he acknowledged her brilliance, acknowledged her intellect, and surely she must know the answer. He said, what is the meaning to life? And she got very quiet and sat there for moments and took notes and finally stood back up again and said, I do not know the answer to his question. So what, what is the meaning to life? Here you have one of the smartest young people in the world who can ace the ACT exam and fire, all these questions are fired at her. She's firing the answers right back. But the main question, right, she couldn't answer. What is the meaning to life? So we're going to explore that today. It's extremely important to know what is the meaning to life. And we're going to do so by looking at one of my favorite books, believe it or not, the book of Ecclesiastes. So if you don't mind, if you have your Bible today, I'm going to give you a moment to find the book of Ecclesiastes. And if you want to, feel free to turn to that great tool, the table of contents, to help you find the book of Ecclesiastes. If you open toward the middle of your Bible, you'll find the book of Psalms then Proverbs and Ecclesiastes there. So the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to look at this, and we'll begin on, in chapter 1, looking at what is the meaning to life. Is there meaning to life? Because this is a big question. Think about that. Of all the questions that you will ever be asked, uh, and even this young lady that was so smart, and had so much intellect, but she couldn't answer this one. 
This is, this is a big deal. So in this series, we're going to start with this. What is the purpose to life? Is there meaning to life? And the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the reason I say it's one of my favorite, believe it or not, is because that is the opposite for a lot of people. If you don't understand the book fully, you can read it and end up kind of being depressed, especially if you pick one chapter at a time and just read one chapter. Because you'll find in this book, it looks like it is written by Solomon. Solomon was blessed with unbelievable riches and he was a king as well and unbelievable wisdom also but you find that he writes this book towards believers uh, and challenging them to not live for just earthly reasons but it's 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 written for us to realize there's more to life and if you live it just for the earthly reasons then your life is useless. The word that he's going to play on here is vanity, that your life is empty. It's useless. There's no purpose to it. You're wasting your life. It's all in vain. So as we read this, let me just kind of, kind of read the first chapter a bit here and so you can kind of get the idea of what he is saying. And it's, it's very negative. Most of the book is negative, but it is negative only if you're living your life only for under the sun, reasons here. And at the end, we'll get to the great conclusion as he sums up the purpose in life, the meaning in life, and all, how all these other things will not lead to your purpose in life. Um, now, for the atheist, which this is kind of, kind of written towards, it's kind of written towards someone with that view in mind, uh, you know, where is their meaning? And it, it really is a place to go to because as they think through these things, because if all this is true, there is no meaning. Everything that an atheist, someone who denies the existence of God, uh, participates in is nothing but a catharsis to numb the pain that in the end, life just really doesn't even matter. And so that's what we're going to look at today. So he kind of paints these chapters with that view of if there is no God, then nothing we do even matters. And that's the point he's getting across. So let's, let's begin engaging the scriptures here. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And I'm just going to give you kind of a, a view of what's going on here. I would love to go through the whole book one day. We might do that sometime. But just chapter 1, I'll read verse 1 through 11. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities. Now again, the word vanity, we don't use it that often anymore. It's not something you just look at in the mirror. But you could even insert the word uselessness there, all right? But vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity or useless. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, they are going to flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It, is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. 
So as we read the beginning of this book, as you can see, it seems very dark. It seems very negative. But remember, he's saying if you're living life just for this life, then it's all vanity of vanities. It's all uselessness. You have not understood your true purpose in life. Then throughout the book here, he explores, well, what if I pursue wisdom? and become the wisest person on earth, then will I feel complete. Then will there be meaning. He gets to that point and says, no. What if I acquire things? Well, maybe then I'll be satisfied with life. No, he gets to the end of all of these reasons and realizes it's useless. All of that is a waste. What is it going to do in the end? As we've seen here at the beginning, he says, Life seems to go on and on. The sun comes up and then it goes down and another day begins. And, and it's the same thing over and over. And the wind blows and the wind comes back and it rains. But the ocean is never full. The sea is never full. It just keeps on. It's this circuit of life this, that continues on. And so if you just look at it from that perspective, it seems very negative. Now, I have a verse on the screen, I believe. First John 2, verse 15 through 17. But we see this here as well. John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. Again, this should not be our sole purpose in living. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So here again, we see this over in the New Testament. Do not just live for this world. The world itself even and the desires of this world are passing away. But God does not pass away. He is immutable. He is eternal. He is never changing. And that, that we have souls that will never die. But this world, the desires, our bank accounts, uh, everything else we can think of, the fame, the fortune, it all passes away. But God does not. So that's why he says here in verse 17 uh, of First John chapter 2, the world is passing away along with its desires. Whatever does the will of God abides forever. So if you turn your page probably in Ecclesiastes there, just look at chapter 2, verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9. And there's lots of great places to look at in the book of Ecclesiastes. I'm not doing it justice by going through it so quickly. But feel free to read this this week. And let me encourage you, don't just read one chapter at a time. You might be quite sad. But read through the book, or at least remember in your mind why it, how it is written. It is very negative up front. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, I'll read. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. He bought everything he wanted. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity, or again, uselessness, and a striving after the wind. You can't catch the wind. You can't chase it. You can't get there. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So if you read the subtitle there on Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it might say something like the vanity of self-indulgence. And this is the extreme he takes it to. He says, I've acquired, I have everything my eyes have ever wanted. Think about that. Oftentimes we think, 
If I can just get this, if I can just get that, if I can just get more of this, bigger this, better this, something shinier, something brighter, and if I can just get these things, then I'll be happy. He says he acquired everything his eyes desired. Imagine just being blessed with a bazillionaire's credit card. You go out and get every single thing that you've ever wanted in life. You spend a year doing this, and you finally come back, and now do you have everything? Do you have peace? Do you have a purpose? Do you have meaning in life? He says, no. I did all this. I acquired everything I wanted. I have it now, and it's for nothing. What is it for? And he goes on to explain later, I will soon pass, and all this will go to someone else, and my work and all my labor and everything I've acquired, for, for what? It's all endless. It's, it's purpose. There's no purpose inside of it. So we see this view that is very common today, and one of the fastest growing, it, it was popular hundreds of years ago, becoming popular again, it just simply existentialism existentialism sorry it's kind of hard for me to say the word i think i have it up here for you but existentialism uh you see the word there at the beginning is just exist all right ism is just a belief in so basically what we have here is a view that there is no god and that this is truly all there is to life and that people live for the now and that's all that really matters in the end So you have a view of living life that just doesn't really matter. There's no final God. There's no final judgment. There is nothing. It's just you're born, you die, you go to the grave, and you get the most pleasure you can out of this life right now. You just exist, and then you pass, and then that's all there is to it. So you live for today. Kind of the motto is live for today, for tomorrow we die. And this is increasing in popularity. If you think of the reasons why uh, God is being removed from our public Viewing, You don't see the Ten Commandments anymore, and you hear God talked about very little, and a lot of lawsuits if you talk about God at work or something to that effect. School systems in general, public schools, you, you can't talk about God. In fact, the curriculums now that are put out by states, uh, by the vast majority, do away with God completely. So they would teach, <clears throat> they would teach uh, instead of creation, right, they would teach evolution. So they do away with God at the very beginning. So there, there is no God. So what you're left with is this existentialism. It's just belief in here and now, then that's it. And so you find that more and more people are realizing this emptiness inside, this lack of purpose, this lack of meaning. I mean, think about it. If evolution is true, and we'll get to this in one of the future uh, sermons, but if evolution is true, that everything just somehow magically appeared from a single-celled organism and multiplied and multiplied, and here we are today, there's no difference in us than a fire ant mound outside on the playground. There's absolutely no more meaning in an ant's life than there is our life. It's all the same. So there truly is no meaning in life. There is no purpose in life. There is no God. There is no final judgment. There is nothing. So you find young people that are constantly looking for meaning, looking for this purpose, and they're looking for it here, and they go to high school, they graduate college, they get their great career, and they think, now, 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 then, well, more money, then I'll be, and they never find their meaning. They never find purpose because they were not taught that they were created by God. And that that is where they're going to find their ultimate meaning, is in God. So, we have here Solomon, it looks like, who, is, who has purchased everything there is to purchase. And he just can't find, can't find happiness. Um, what a horrible existence, I've written here. To go through life with no purpose except to acquire things, wealth, happiness. Just to know that soon you'll turn back to the dust you came from. And the question is, why even live? 
And this question does pop up in the minds of atheists quite often. They get to the point that, why am I even here if there is no meaning, if there is no purpose? And you'll find that many end up uh, taking their own lives. But is death the end? Is that the ultimate escape? Absolutely not. Even Solomon says here, perhaps on the same page you're at, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has put eternity into the man's heart. We know deep down inside that there is more. The book of Romans chapter 1 says there are no such thing as true atheists, that we, every single person, knows there is a God. But there are those who suppress that knowledge. They try to put it down so they can sin all they want to sin. But we know there is a God. We know there is eternity. God has put this inside of us, and we know this to be true. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 17. So I said to myself, God will judge both the righteous man and the wicked man for a time, for every matter, and for every deed is there. So here he acknowledges that there's more to this life than just this life. There is eternity in the heart of man. We have souls that will never die. The Bible lets us know that to be absent for a believer who has believed in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life, rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, will be the final judge over all mankind. And those who have believed in that gospel for their salvation, they are rescued, they are saved, right? But the Bible lets us know to be absent from the body for us, believers, is to be immediately presence, present in the presence of God Almighty. This is the joy that we live with, the pleasure that we live with, the peace that we live with, knowing that we're in a right relationship with God, and it changes the way we live. It changes the mundane, because we don't live just for the here and now, but we do everything for the glory of God. But for the unbeliever, they may say there is no God. They may deny that there is a God, but deep down they know. Solomon, the book of Romans as well, says they know there is a God. And until they recognize that, they're living with no purpose, no meaning at all. Even Solomon here recognizes, he says, there will be an ultimate judgment. Ultimate judgment will come for each and every person. We see this mentioned over and over by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that there will be this ultimate judgment, this great separation of sheep and goats, right? Uh, of the ones that the, he gave the other analogy of the, the fishermen that caught the fish and threw the bad ones back but kept the good ones. He lets us know in the book of Revelation as well, there is a final judgment. And you will stand before an almighty, righteous, holy God who has every single thing that you have thought, every single deed that you have done, and you will be held accountable for it. Now, again, for the believer, we get the righteousness of Christ. So we don't fear that day at all. But this day is coming, and the unbeliever should be aware of it. So we have these things here. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Flip all the way to the end of the book. Let me get there pretty quickly as well. Verse 13 and 14, he brings the book to a conclusion. And again, when you get time, look through the whole thing. He, he takes every possible purpose really you could think of in living, such as the gold and the glory and the girls and, and all the pleasure and this, this you know, work, money, wealth, things, materialism. What about this? What about that? He takes them all the way to the logical conclusion. And he says, vanity, uselessness. This is a waste of life. So he gets to the end of the book and he summarizes it with this. Chapter 12, verse 13 and 14. The end of the matter. Here we go. All has been heard. He's given every reason for living, and they're all useless. Fear God and keep His commandments. For this 
is the whole duty of man. How beautiful. He, he summarized it up. There's no purpose. There is no meaning in life unless you fear God and keep His commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So what we find here in this concluding marks is life without God is truly meaningless. Uh, life with God, however, gives meaning to everything. So this fear God, uh, let me just take a moment to explain that a little bit, is not a scary fear like some people have a fear of clowns or something to that effect, all right? Uh, it's not this, that kind of fear of a monster or something to that effect. This is a healthy fear. Uh, it would be comparable to uh, a child, all right, that respects their father and knowing that their father has a right standard for living and a child that has a healthy fear of their father as they do things, as they go through activities and interact with brothers and siblings and sisters, that there is this healthy respect, this healthy fear. They acknowledge their father's right way of living, his right standards, and recognize him as the authority in the child's life. And so this is as well. It's an acknowledging that we are under the authority of God who spoke and created everything and has commanded us to live right. And this is our purpose, is to live under him, to recognize his authority, to live by faith and to obey his commands. And outside of that, there is no meaning in life. If you remove that, then there, there's nothing here. You realize it's all in vain. So the wisest man on earth completes this study of purpose and meaning and realizes the human condition. You can't find it here. You can't find satisfaction in the things of life, whether it's money, materialism, work, relationships, whatever it is. And if you're looking to anything in this world, to find your ultimate purpose, then you will always be looking for the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that never comes. I don't know if you guys saw it today. We got here a little bit early, but at 8.30, as we're coming up from, from Corinth on the interstate, there's, there's a half a rainbow. We don't see them that often, but there's a beautiful half rainbow, and all the kids are looking at it. And the first thing one of my sons says is, is let's find the end. Let's find the end. You know, the pot of gold is going to be there. And I uh, said, so, you know, you can't really do that. And obviously there's not going to be a pot of gold there, or we'd be going a lot faster right now to get there. But uh, it's not there. But, but it's kind of like that. When when you look for meaning in this life, you're always looking for something that doesn't exist. And that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, it's never there. And you spend all your time, all your energy trying to find it, trying to find it, but it's not there because you're looking in the wrong spot. You're looking for something that does not even exist. The billionaire who just needs a little more money, then you'll be happy. He's wasting his life. It's all in vain. The spouse who believes if, if her husband or or, or his wife would, would just treat them a little better, just love them a little more, then they would be happy. They're looking in the wrong place, right? Uh, the addict who, who just wants one more hit, just one more drink, just one more puff, and then I'll be happy. He's obviously looking in the wrong place. Even the employee who's a hardworking uh, man or young lady, whatever it is, who is trying to climb the corporate ladder and thinks if I can just get to that next rung, then I'll have meaning in life. Even though some of these things can be good. If that's your only purpose for living, you've missed the whole thing, and you're, you're looking for that pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Uh, true meaning and purpose can never be found in workplace alone. It can never be found in relationships alone. It can never be found in fame, fortune, hobbies, pleasure, or anything in all God's creation unless you first acknowledge the Creator and His directions that He's given you for life. Every other purpose, no matter how successful you become at it, 
leads right back to meaninglessness. And it comes at us sometimes in waves. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Uh, the cartoons, as I was preparing this message, I was reminded of the cartoons back in, back in the day, more of a Looney Tune type cartoon. But I know you guys have pictured this as well or can picture it. It's the, it's, it's the horse, you know, with the rider or the cart and the horse and the, and the stick that's out there. And what's hanging from the stick is that carrot at the, at the end, you know. And it keeps the horse moving forward. But the carrot is just out of reach. But the carrot keeps, the, sorry, the horse keeps moving forward trying to get the carrot. But the whole point is the driver or whatever is holding up the stick has the, the carrot dangling just, just so close to the horse's nose where he can smell it to where his mouth is salivating. He can almost get it, but he never can quite get there. So he keeps on going. He keeps on moving forward. And here this is what we find as we study purpose and study meaning in life that, that all these other things, if we're just living and it's, it's like, like the book of Ecclesiastes sums up here for, for reasons just under the sun, just for the creation. It's that carrot that's always out there. And you think just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there, and I'm going to get there, and I'm going to be happy, I'm going to be content, I'm going to find my meaning, I'm going to find my purpose. And life's over, and you never did get it. You never got there. But you kept going. You were moving fast. You were doing things. You were, you know, work and, and family and this and that. And you were accomplishing things, but you never got to the end of it. You never got that carrot. And that's what we find here is people are looking for meaning. They're looking for purpose. If you have a chance, we're going to look at a couple other passages. Uh, turn to the book of John, chapter 6. And we're, we're done with the book of Ecclesiastes, so you don't have to return to there. But if we look at John chapter 6, and I'm not going to explain all of it or use all that passage, but John chapter 6, and and the portion I'm going to be looking at is just 35 and on a little bit further down. But just to kind of give you the story of what's going on, uh, Jesus has all these followers who are following him to listen to him. And the number given there, it says Jesus feeds the 5,000. Uh, theologians tell us that that would probably be a, a count of, of father figures of males in the family. A male would represent, you know, a number of to four to five people once you count the wife and children. So there probably could have been 20,000 people there, okay? But there at least, at least 5,000, odds are those were the male figures uh, that had family. So Jesus is there with all these followers just, 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 just everywhere around. And now, I mean, there's no fast food restaurants. There's no buffet around. How do you feed thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands? So one boy, if you remember the story, brings his uh, little five loaves of bread and little two little fish, more like a sardine type thing you could think of, that his mom had packed him to sustain him while he went and listened to Jesus. And so Jesus takes that and, of course, performs the miracle where he feeds everyone, at least 5,000, probably way, way more, 20, 25,000. He feeds everyone. The disciples pick up 12 baskets of leftovers when it's all done. So Jesus, Jesus crosses over to the sea to uh, basically have to make an escape. And people go around the sea. And when he gets over there, they show up again. And they're wanting more food. They're like, this is great. This is awesome. This is the guy we want to follow. Why? Because he's a walking restaurant. I mean, he, he can feed us all. He can just make food just like that. Somebody else give him something, you know? What, what do you have? You got anything else that you can give him, you know? Give him steak. He'll make steaks for everybody. It's just, what else can we get from him? So they're wanting more. They're wanting more. They're wanting their bellies to be filled. They're living for what he has to offer them. But he stops them cold. And what he says 
drives most of them away. And kind of gets the disciples mad later on, if you know the whole story. But look at John, just, just to kind of summarize, chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. What is he saying here? He's saying that you've come to me for the wrong reasons. You've come to me because I fed your bellies. But if you want true satisfaction in life, if you want meaning and you want purpose, don't look to the things that you're going to have here on earth. Look to me. I am the bread of life. What I have to give you nourishes your inner being. It nourishes your soul. And there's nothing here on earth that can do that except for me. Fast forward to John chapter 6, 51. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So that we are created by God, but yet we've all sinned. But we have the Savior, Jesus Christ. And all who believe in him are nourished from the inside out. So it's not, not us looking for purpose out here. But now we have a purpose because we've fed on. We've been satisfied with the bread of life, which is Jesus Christ himself. So this saying is hard, and the people don't like it. Most of them go away because they just wanted more food, right? But what is, their, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to be in a right relationship with God. And the only way that can happen is by taking of the bread of life, believing in Jesus Christ. Uh, turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6 as, as well. As we're looking at this, we're looking, Deuteronomy chapter 6, going to be a long ways back there. Got you thumbing all over your Bible there. That's a good, good thing to do. Deuteronomy chapter 6. So our purpose in this life is, is above the sun, you might say. It's not just under the sun and what we can do here. But we've been created by God. And we are His creation. And we are to glorify God. And Deuteronomy 6 is a great place to go to, to look at this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. So we're, here we have our ultimate directive from God. What is our purpose? What are we to do? How are we to live? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, and with all your might. Now look at these next passages. Verse 6, And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gate. So here he gives the purpose to Israel that our, their purpose and our purpose is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your might. And we are to love Him. And also, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to remind ourselves and remind everyone we're around of our purpose. That we are to teach those in our household. Remind those that we are around when we lie down, when we sit, when we walk, when we work, all the time. So that worshiping God is not just something we do here on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock, but worshiping God is something that we do all the time. 
because this is our purpose. We love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. In Matthew chapter 22, when Jesus is asked, uh, Teacher, which is the great commandment uh, in, the, in the law, and he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. So here we have the Son of God in flesh, our Savior. He is asked, what is the meaning? What is the purpose of life? What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, soul, with all your mind. Uh, Jesus says in, in Matthew 6, 33, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. But when we get these things reversed, it doesn't work. We, if we seek the things and then seek God, try to add him in a little, it doesn't work. We seek God first, and then these things will be added to us. Our purpose is best found when we follow our Creator's instruction on where to find purpose. And where do we find that? We find it in Him. If it is a given that people without Christ, if they were to read the book of Ecclesiastes, they would definitely find their plight, they would find their way of living here, and Solomon would quickly sum it up for them, useless, meaningless, vanity. There's no purpose in what you're doing right now. But I will also say this. However, as Christians, uh, even though we know better, often we find ourselves drifting back into this. And I say the book of Ecclesiastes is one of my favorites because every time I read it, I'm checked again. Like, ah, that's right. I was drifting away. I was looking for meaning, looking for purpose, even though I know better. And some of these things that will not, I will never find meaning in. And it brings me back to the reality. It's God. It's seek God. That is it. He is the reason that I'm alive. He is my purpose. My purpose is to give him glory for everything that I do. Oftentimes we find that Christians, even as we go through our daily lives, even though we know better, we kind of suffer from the ADHD JC, I call it. You know, we kind of get distracted with this life and we forget about Jesus Christ and we follow other purposes for a short time. But let us not forget our meaning for existing. 1 Corinthians 10.30, if you're making notes, common passage says this, So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Think about this passage just for a moment. So whether you eat or drink, the, most, the smallest, most minuscule little thing, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This is what we're supposed to do. Our whole lives are supposed to be for the glory of God. Uh, we do a little catechism. I believe we have a few of the questions up here in the mornings with our kids. And uh, it's just, there's 140 questions. I know Andrew has recommended this one as well during our discipleship to use in your household if you have children, even adults as well, because we've these have been written hundreds of years ago. We've kind of drifted away from teaching our families the things of God. And uh, Deuteronomy says, hey, teach these things to your household. You're responsible for them. Don't just, you know, come here and expect to be filled up fully for the whole week, but continue to feed on the Word of God in your house. This is a great way to do so, but there's 140 questions on this particular one that we use with our children, and we we start very young. But uh, the questions are, the first four like this, who made you? God. Uh, What else did God make? God made all things. Why did God make all things for his own glory? How can you glorify God by loving him 
and doing what he commands. Now, even our four-year-old Titan, he has questions 1 through 30 memorized. So I'll say the question, and then he will say the answer. And you might say, well, why would you start teaching something like that so young? And the reason is because what else is there? You want your children to know that there's more to life than thinking about what do you want to do when you grow up. So what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I want to be a fireman. Great, there you go. That's your purpose. That's your meaning in life, right? There's more to it than that. You were created by God. Who made you? God. Uh, he made everything. Why did he make everything? For his own glory. How can you glorify God? By loving him and doing what he commands. This is beautiful. This, is, this puts even our children at home thinking outside of just under the sun, outside of meaning just here, and understanding they were created by God to glorify God. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says this, one of my favorite passages. I'll quote it for you. I believe it. I have it up here as well. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is it. Our, our whole existence, our whole life, is to be not just living for here and now and building this widget and then retiring from building that widget, but it's to glorify God. So whether we eat, whether we drink, whether we work, whether it's at school, whatever it is that you do in life, we do it to honor and to glorify God. He says, let your body be a living sacrifice to God. In the Old Testament, a lamb, a pigeon, whatever the animal was, was, was sacrificed and, and given up to God as a sacrifice. And, and that animal died and was burned up. <clears throat> All of it went up to God. Paul says here, we are to be a living sacrifice. That our lives are for God and for his service. So, <clears throat> we think about these things. What is the purpose in life? What is the reason that we are alive? We are alive because our creator has made us alive. We owe him our life. He has given us the directions on how to live. He's also given us our purpose. We have sinned. We've gone against him. That relationship is broken. And we'll never find our purpose if that relationship remains broken. But the Bible says that those who believe in the gospel, they are made new. They are recreated. And there's, there's this whole new meaning that comes about them. Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. And you see things from a totally different perspective. And now the Bible lets us know that our purpose is, is beautiful. Uh, I'll read just a couple of highlights here. But Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 says, We are now his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And this is also that rest, that peace that we live in as believers, knowing what? That God has prepared work for me? And that these things are going to happen? That there is a purpose for my life? And these things will? Yes, absolutely. Think on this again. For we are his workmanship, those who have been saved, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That we, as a believer... You've been called to Christ, and you live for his purpose. And all things are working out for your good. Meaning, purpose is found in God. Without that, there is none. Let's pray. God, thank you that we don't have to live this life 
As the writer of Ecclesiastes said, vanity, vanity, and useless meaninglessness, but that we can have purpose, we can have meaning, and that is found in you and you alone. The ultimate goal of man, the ultimate life, the purpose is to glorify you, God. May we do exactly that. You've created us, we've sinned against you, but you've given us the Savior, Jesus Christ, that all who believe in him shall be saved, made new, and given new purpose to live. May we feed on you, uh, God, and realize that it is Jesus Christ that, that we need for our nourishment, for our soul, that gives us the bread that feeds our soul, that gives us the fountain of life that bubbles over, that quenches our thirst, and it goes beyond this creation to you, God. We worship you and praise your name for giving us meaning, for giving us purpose. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship God. Thank you.